the world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve 8 from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layer timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve 8 is available from $995. Current users can download the update for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagic-design.com What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this week we have part two of my interview with Jeffrey Wolf. Now, in this episode, we actually focus on the actors of comedy films and assessing the rushes for their work and how their timing and their pacing affects things. It's actually a really interesting part of the interview, and I loved cutting it. So definitely listen closely. Check out the films if you're interested beforehand. Uh, Check out the films The Ref, Billy Madison, and anything by John Waters, because as we mentioned, he's got his own style. Now, it's Thanksgiving this weekend for the Canadians, so all the Canadians listening, happy Thanksgiving. And as you can hear, Lauren's not with me this week. Again, she's prepping for numerous holidays now, so she'll be with us next week. Now, I want to bring up That Post Show, which is our sister podcast over at Scruffy Thinking. And this week they have Brian Mulligan. So make sure to check that out. And it's sort of like a roundtable discussion. And if you enjoy it, we're both sort of trying to get people to give us you know give us five stars on itunes give us comments so that we can improve our rating on itunes so make sure to check that out and if you have time check it out for us too you know make sure that we get the uh, five stars or four stars also if you're enjoying our podcast you'll love our mobile app so if you have an ipad an iphone an android device then all you have to do is download look for aotg 2.0 download it And you'll get these podcasts, you'll get up-to-the-minute news, you'll get events in your area, as well as videos from the associations around the world. So check that out. But in the meantime, enjoy my interview with Jeffrey Wolf. What do you look for in the rushes of of a comedy that differs from the rushes of a drama regarding the actor's performance? I mean, particularly, comedies tend to have more improv. And so, like, if, if they go out, if they set to do a scene, and... Directors really have to be reminded of this sometimes, is that it's good like to do the first couple takes where you have the actors do the script the way it's written. And then you kind of let the actors go. And some actors, especially if they know when they're not kind of getting it right, and they'll, mm-hmm. they'll stop and they'll repeat and they'll stop and they'll repeat. And then, you know, sort of by the end, when the producer's saying it's time to move on, they're doing like 10 punchlines in a row. So that, you really have to scour through each take to find the joke. And, and I'm working on a comedy right now, and that's very, you know, we kind of took the scripted jokes as the first pass. And then as things played and we didn't find them funny or something else changed, then like scene by scene now we're going through and identifying which are funny and which aren't funny, number one. Number two is that many of the kinds of comedies that I've worked on, like a Billy Madison or The Man, had a lot of set pieces in it. So when, when it's a set piece, that's a very different kind of cutting because you know that you have to get all the elements in to make the joke ultimately work. But back to what I said before, is that the, the character-driven things, um, 
is that the first thing you're looking for is to make the character real, believable, get the best performance, and then try to hone the comedy after that. So again, in this case, and Beautiful Girls, and many of those things, many of those movies that I did were really about kind of making the reality real, and then work the jokes after that. It's like the the reality helps the comedy. So like, what if we can feel that these people are real or feel that this moment's real, then right. the comedy will play well. And, and that's where I think that's what movies are to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, my reality really has no reality in it. <laughs> but, and truthfulness is sort of a part of that, but it's not truthfulness and as honesty as truthfulness. Mm -hmm. It's truthfulness that you're serving the purpose of the character as best you can and making that character real and some you know i was listening to a writer talk about this the other day um richard price he, he said um that you know and he's done shows like the wire and these really intense kind mm -hmm. of things he says you have to love all your characters whether you like them or not or whether they're good people or bad people ultimately if you love them you'll find the best human element mm -hmm. of them and bring that into the movie it's interesting because whenever i've talked to actors and asked them like how do they approach scenes and stuff and their big thing was always that even if you're, you're the most evil person on screen, you always have something about you that's good and vice versa. Even if you're the best person on screen, there's something about you that is evil or bad and, and playing those two together rounds you out as a character. Right. But see, like going back on the same note, going back to when you have a Saturday Night Live actor who's skit oriented, some of those guys and gals are better with their skits than they are as actors per se. I'm working with one of them now, that it's not an easy, everybody expects her to be funny in a certain kind of way, and she's trying to take the character a different direction, and it, it becomes really difficult to identify with her for that reason. And her style of comedy is not very rhythmic to begin with, and so it's been a real challenge in that way. But if you take like a Dennis Leary, or even better, an Eddie Murphy versus an Adam Sandler, I mean, Eddie Murphy has there's a whole lot going on inside that guy that comes out in many different kinds of way. Adam, it's all like, you know, a nine-year-old boy that he lives in that nine-year-old's body and he sees everything from that prism, you know? And he's done really well with it, but it's limited, you know? I mean, it's limited. So we have in this movie, Jane Lynch is in the movie and I think the director tried to go a little bit against the type of character that she plays. Well. In many ways, the character that she plays on Glee is the one everybody wants to go see. Yeah. So you can't completely get away from it. With Dennis, because you asked a question about the ref, Dennis had done a lot of work in MTV with the director, and they, he completely got Dennis's rhythm. So Dennis, um, Dennis Leary is somebody who has a, a certain kind of rhythm to his humor. I mean, you know, like, I just, I love his tweets, because if you read his tweets, in his rhythm, like the other day, they, people were talking about attachment therapy of raising children. And there was a big picture on Newsweek. And he tweeted, yeah, I grew up with attachment therapy. My mother kept a 12-inch spoon attached to her hand and she hit me <laughs> over the head with it. But I mean, if you kind of get his thing, yeah. it works. And then, so we did all these movies with him that I think really worked and, that, and got him hired to do other things then the directors kind of wanted him to be this person or that person and, and it never really worked quite the same way and 
I also, you know, there's great stories about Robin Williams, how all the directors fought against his style, and then on Good Morning Vietnam, they finally let him go, and it made him a star. Yeah, it's a, it's a slippery slope in a lot of ways. What would you say are the comedic differences between A Dirty Shame, The Ref, uh, Billy Madison, and how would these comedic differences influence uh, your editing overall? We're, we're sort of getting into this, but John is a brand, John Waters. Yeah. So he's out there selling his brand. So when you look, he, he doesn't really care about the editing. He, he doesn't even care that much about kind of coverage or whether something's working a certain way. He's like out there making something look like a John Waters movie. Yeah. And I, I discovered this really in an interesting way. I saw Pecker and I thought, oh, you know, that has an interestingly slow rhythm to it. And it, it, it kind of irked me and I was thinking, oh, I bet if you took this material and you kind of added some pace to it. So I, I did a movie with him called Cecil B. Demented and I added some pace to it. And in the end, it was just a John Waters movie with a little more pace to it. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're really, if you held the film side by side, yeah. they're easily identifiable, which I don't know if, if that's true of any other director. Well, he's got, it's hit, you can tell, like you were saying, you can tell, and that's, it's weird because he's pushed the boundaries so much, and then, you know, Hairspray comes back and becomes big, but, you know, in the 80s, he it was like pushing the boundaries yeah. big time, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens in a few right. years. And, and then, then you take a Billy Madison, it's one set piece after the mm -hmm. other. I mean, it was written that way. You put two cameras up, you light the hell out of it, you know, like set the shutter at F-16 and you just point the cameras. And I had an interesting experience. I won't go into the great detail about it, but I did a version of that movie that was very close to the way it was scripted. Mm -hmm. And then there was some, at the time, considered offensive material in that show. And the director who took over for a director who was fired by Adam sort of was offended by some of the material and she started pulling that material out. And then when they saw the film, they were a little freaked out that we had, you know, kind of taken out their, their big jokes like tranny magazine jokes yeah. and things like that. And so I was able to kind of show the first cut and say, this is what we think you intended. And kind of worked out that way. And then the third one, which is which, which is the third one that you mentioned? Well, I talked about Dirty Shame and The Ref. So The Ref is definitely a comedy that comes out of a story and characters. And I mean, you put Dennis Leary in a room with Judy and Kevin Spacey, you know, it's quite a different thing. I mean, these are amazing actors. They, they play into the comedy really well. And it's just a very different thing. You were asking like about the, the dinner table scene, well that, unfortunately no one has time to shoot like that anymore, but they shot almost every part of that scene from three yeah. angles. Yeah, so that's, that certainly made that scene a little easier to Did you find to it work with. easier, I guess easier in what way? Because when I think about multicam, I can get the same performance just flipped. Right. So, so how was it easier? No, well, I mean, it gave you a great variety because you had this way, but you could always flip it to go this way. So it kind of, rather than giving you three angles, it gave you six angles of everyone ultimately, or five or, you know, whatever, however you want to do the math. But I mean, it was a while ago, I don't remember it that well, but you know, anytime you have people sitting at a table, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, in that especially in that with the, the access, the right. continuity and everything.
you have live fire going. Well, that that was one of my questions. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> I just remember because I saw it when it first came out, and I was rewatching it for the interview, and I was just sitting there going, "How did you a do it with live fire, but also right. keep the continuity from driving you nuts?" Yeah, I'm sure if you looked at it really closely, there's the candles are of different heights and yeah and levels too, but I haven't I haven't looked that closely yet. Well, that was my interview with Jeffrey Wolf. Remember to rate us on iTunes. Remember to rate That Post Show on iTunes. Check it out. Search That Post Show. You can also download our apps from iTunes or the Android Store, which is now Google Play. I'd like to thank Jeffrey for allowing me to interview him. I'd also like to thank Jenny McCormick for helping set that up. I'd like to thank my producer, Lauren Woodcock, who couldn't make it this episode. And, of course, you guys for listening. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>